Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. As we look together today at his word, the passage we looked at last Sunday also, we're going to look at it and tie some other things into it this morning. It's an important passage. All scripture is important. That's why we focus on it so. All scripture is to be meditated upon, thought about, understood, applied on a consistent basis in our life. But this passage in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, is Jesus giving the most vivid illustration, and and I think in many ways the clearest illustration, of what it means to be in union with Him, union with Christ, in Christ, and Him in us. You know, through His parables, he, He tells a lot of parables, and a lot of people say, well, the parables are there to help us to to understand better, to have our eyes enlightened. Many times Jesus says the parables are there to hide truth. They're not so much to reveal truth so that others, especially those who are not within the covenant family, can understand it, but so that they just don't see. They're they're unclear, so it gives them a a desire to know that leads them to perhaps faith in Christ. But, But the parables are not there. Many times the parables are difficult. I remember when I first started preaching 40 some odd years ago, I used to preach on the parables all the time, because I thought, boy, that's easy, until finally one day a pastor took me aside and said, you know, the way you, you preached that was just really wrong, and I thought, oh no, you know, young preacher, bold, thinking I'd hitting all the cylinders with the parables, and he said, you know, you, you preached that in a way that just is, it didn't clarify anything, and I thought it was clarifying everything. So I started studying the parables and realized the parables really are sometimes difficult. They, we try to make all sorts of different meanings out of them when Jesus intended for one usually very narrow thing, and, and we might make other applications sometimes, but a lot of times we do them injustice when we do that. But in John chapter 15, there's no parable here. It's merely an illustration. He's just simply taking something that they see out in the vineyards every day along the edge of Jerusalem. It's things they saw carved on the temple walls and around the doors of the holy place and the temple. I mean, they, it's something that they really understood what a vine and a branch was all about. And, and this is what Jesus says about that. Follow along, if you will, in John 15, verses 1 through 11. Same text we read last week. I am the true vine. All these others are just illustrations. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. A lot of times we want to think, you know, if we separate ourselves from Jesus a little bit, we can still do some. We can still accomplish some things in our Christian growth. We can still accomplish some things in ministry. Jesus, understand this. Apart from me, not abiding in me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. You know, that last statement that Jesus makes in verse 11 is a very if you will, pregnant statement. It's it's full of a lot that if we're not careful, we will miss. I want you to understand that Jesus didn't say here that if you abide in me, uh, the reason I've spoken these things to you, so you can be happy all the time. That's an unlikely, in in fact, a very improbable thing that, that any of us will be happy all the time. Because happiness is determined by circumstances. Happiness is determined by what's going on around. I've often used the illustration. When I stood and did my father's funeral in in 2001, I I stood there over a a casket where my father's body lay, and I was not a very happy person that day. i got to tell you, I missed him. And I grieved that he was gone, and I I hurt that he was gone, and I, I was grieving over that. But I want you to know that same day, at the same time, my joy was, was full. Because I knew that the circumstances of his death had, had issued, uh, ushered forth his person into the presence of Christ. And he who had suffered with all sorts of maladies, heart problems, and, and, and pulmonary fibrosis, a very ugly disease, that I knew that was all over, and he was now in the presence of his Lord and so while I was not happy that he was gone, I had great joy that, that Christ was in control. God was in control. A lot of times we look around as, as Christians who are to be branches abiding in the vine, who are to be drawing our strength from Christ, our nourishment for Christ. As we, we are Christians in this world, we look around and we act as though, well, you know, I'm just not happy. These circumstances that are around me are not happy. Do you realize that it might be that those circumstances God has put in your life to to strip away what you think is happiness in order to show you that he can make you feel of joy, his joy, if you merely abide in him? As a vine gives nourishment to the branches, as the branch abides in that vine, as we abide in Christ, he is able to take horrible circumstances sad circumstances, troubling circumstances, and turn our circumstances into his joy. He says there, I I, I say these things to you that my joy may be in you. That's the first point you got to understand. It's his joy that we're looking for. His joy that went to the cross, suffered agony, suffered rejection, suffered pain, suffered the, the bearing of sin our sin upon his person, and yet the writer of Hebrews says he did all that with joy, knowing what would issue forth from it. We know that Paul says in Romans 8, 28, for God 
for, his, for believers, for those who are called according to his purpose, to those who love him, those who are uh, branches abiding in the vine, we know that God causes all things to work together for good in the lives of those who are abiding. It, it, it doesn't mean that all circumstances are good. They can be very difficult. They can be very troubling. They can be very saddening. They can be very grieving. But for those who abide in the vine, for those who cling to him, who recognize that apart from him, they can do nothing, and they trust in him for everything, then Jesus said, I want you to know, I want my joy, I'm saying this to you, so my joy will be in you, and then my joy will fill up your joy, and your joy will be made full. And all is contingent upon union with Christ. We talk a lot about salvation. We talk about a lot about trusting Christ. We talk a lot about you know baptism. We'll see a baptism here in just a little bit. And we talk about these things that are important, that are critical to understand, no doubt. But all of those find their real fullness in a very real sense of the word in this whole concept of union with Christ. And that's what Jesus is wanting to illustrate, and Jesus is wanting us to understand here. He said, abide in me, and I'll abide in you, and my word is to abide in you. What does that mean? My word is to fill, it, fill up your life. It's part of the reason during the worship service we, we fill this time with the, with the reading of Scripture. We, we, want, we want the word to impact your life. I, I can't impact your life. I, I can if I'm interpreting the word properly and presenting the word but listen, it's the word that matters. I remember the first old pastor I ever knew. Now, our one. But I remember the first old pastor I ever knew. It was at East Tobago Baptist Church in East Tobago, Alabama. His interim pastor he was 82 years old. And I was just beginning to preach. I was a young kid. And, I mean, I was raw. But he said to me one day, and, and this was long before expository preaching was the... Was the way to do it or the way I understood to do it but, but I remember Brother Jones looking at me and saying Bill actually he said Billy but we'll say Bill this morning he said Bill let me give you one word of advice always have a strong text I said oh that, that's good advice why do you say that Brother Jones he said well even if you blow it at least they've heard the word strongly and that's true. It's the word that changes hearts. And I have blown it more than my share of times, I think. But, but the word is what is promised to never return void. The word of God going forth. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Abide in me and, and, I will abide, and I abide in you. And my word abides in you. My word fills you up. My word strengthens you. Just like the psalmist said when he, when he said, you know, how shall a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to the word of God. Just as the psalmist said, you know, your word have I treasured in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. It's the word and, and the word of Christ abiding in us and Christ abiding in us that protects us from sin. Next Sunday morning, Lord willing, I'll be standing in a pulpit in Southern California uh, teaching on spiritual warfare, on spiritual armor out of Ephesians chapter 6 at First Baptist Church of Beaumont, California. And, and, and one of the things that I will emphasize, and I've emphasized it here with you as I've taught that same text, is that all that armor is contingent on the Word being real in your life. 
on the, you put on the, the truth of God, you put on the righteousness of God, you put on the salvation of God. All those pieces of armor are, are pieces that indicate His Word there to protect you. And your, His Word is there to protect us. And He is there as we experience union in Christ. So I had Scott read a text that talked about we are justified in Him. I know one of my favorite passages, Romans chapter 5, that says, Therefore, we, having been justified by faith, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I mean, justification is an important concept. Luther called it the the, the linchpin of the church. It's the, the thing that the whole church stands or falls upon, understanding that we are justified in Christ. But I want you to understand that justification can just be looked at as a legal aspect and, and miss the whole concept of union with Christ. And when we miss that, we miss the richness and the power, I think, of what it means to be in Christ as a believer. I've got a quote up there on the screen. You can see it. It's, by John Murray, a great uh, theologian from the last century. And he said, union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. It underlies every aspect of redemption. That is justification, sanctification, glorification are all wrapped up, as we'll see this morning, in the concept of union with Christ. Anthony Holcomb said, once you have your eyes open to this concept of union with Christ you will find it almost everywhere in the New Testament. There's very few pages that you will turn to that you will not see the whole concept of union in Christ being expounded by either Christ or Paul or Peter or somebody. It's important to understand. Lewis Smead said in his book on union with Christ, it is at once the center and the circumference of authentic Christian existence. I like that statement. Union with Christ is at the very center, at the very heart of Christian experience and Christian existence. But it's not just just the heart. It encompasses the whole thing. Union with Christ is the center and the circumference of your life if you understand it, and it will change how you live every day. It will take obedience to Christ out of being legalistic. And we know a lot about legalism. We're all born legalists. We, we really are, every one of us. And we're taught that as young children, you know. It, we're taught that you must, you must obey, you must be good, try harder, be better, all that kind of stuff. And we grow up, we, we grow up pretty good legalists. And then we become Christians and we think, well, it's still legalism. We, we still got to work hard and, and, and obey Christ, and, and we do. But it's not out of our efforts, it's out of His union that fills our life and writes his word on our hearts and writes his word on our minds and we begin to walk and understand that truth so Smead says it's the circumference and the center at the same time I want you to see several things I put my outline up here today because sometimes when I get into four or five or six or 30 things I only got 30 today but sometimes after the service people say well you know I missed you you said you had eight you only I only got six so I'm going to put them up there just so you can see them as well as we talk about them. The first thing I want you to understand is that, well, even before that point there is, the Scriptures fill the fact that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. 
Jesus talks about it here in, in John chapter 15, in, in five, 4, 5, and 7. He says, abide in me and I in you. That's us in him and him in us. He says in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The point is that in this whole of Christian living, this concept permeates the Scripture. And you need to understand it. And, And I want you to see that. I want you to see that union with Christ finds its roots in eternity past. The passage of Scripture comes to mind immediately is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and you've read those verses before, Paul simply says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. The root to understanding our union with Christ is to understand that it is formulated, it is founded, it is rooted in eternity past. In what God did before the foundation of the world, in calling us, in choosing us, as Brother Homer talked about with Jeremiah on Sunday night, even from his mother's womb he was called as a prophet. Before he was ever born, before he ever heard a thing of preaching or anything else. The root of it is in eternity past. God has been planning this even before the fall. God has been planning for you, if you're a believer, to be in Christ. Even before you were a glimmer in your parents' eyes. And that's important to understand. Not only that, we need to understand the basis of this union with Christ is the redemptive worth of Christ on the cross. The basis of being in union with Christ is not trying to grab hold of the vine and say, I'm going to hold on all I can and hope I get something out of it. No, the, 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 the basis of it is what he has done, not what you have done. It's what he did on the cross in his redemptive work. It's the whole of the gospel. He died there in our place. He died there as our substitute. He died there to bear our sin. But not just to bear our sin. He died there to bear our sin and then to give us of his righteousness. Isn't that right? To give us of his righteousness. The great exchange took place when you are in Christ. He took your sin. and He didn't have any sin. He didn't deserve any sin. He was a sinless person, totally, completely, without guile, without any evil thoughts. I mean, he he didn't need any sin, but he took our sin on himself, and he gave us his righteousness. We who had no righteousness of our own, we who were unrighteous in every respect, we who were sinners, he gave us of his righteousness. He imputed it to our account. The theological way of stating he, he he gave it to us out of his own so that we who knew, who knew no righteousness might become the very righteousness of God in union with him. So the basis is, of union with Christ is his redemptive work on the cross. And, and then the actual union with Christ takes place and is established with God's people in time. What in the world does that mean? 
It just simply means that, that while it is rooted in eternity past, and while it, its basis is the cross of Christ and his work on the cross, it actually is applied, that actual union takes place and is applied to your life by the Holy Spirit when you trust Christ, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. It is in time. In, in some people's lives, they, they know exactly the day. Some just know that it did happen, and they have matured, and they have grown, and there is a evidence. I'm not one that says, oh, if you can't name the day and the time and the minute and the exact circumstance, then you're not saved. I know some who will say that. I don't believe that's the case because the Scripture doesn't say look back on something. The Scripture says look at what's going on in your life now. Are you walking with Him? Are you abiding in Him? Is He abiding in you? It's the present. But, but it really took place at some time. You didn't just evolve into it. It didn't just happen. You didn't inherit it from your parents. It happened at a time when the, when the Holy Spirit applied the truth of God's Word to your life. That's why Paul says in, in Romans, he said, if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can take that, extrapolate it, move it on out, and say if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be placed in union, saved, placed in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is important that we grasp that. Rooted in eternity past, Ephesians 1 based on the work on the cross, and applied in your life in actual time. There are several things about that that are important. Understand that we are initially united with Christ in regeneration, rebirth, being born again. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, Paul, but God, after he said how bad we were, how sinful we were, he said, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So it's in that regeneration. It's in that work of God, work of his Holy Spirit to bring about newness of life. Later on, Paul said in verse 10 of that same chapter, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. The good works issue forth out of union with Christ. The, the good works issue forth out of knowing Him and walking with Him and living in Him and Him abiding in us. But it has its basis. It has its initial uh, activity in regeneration. And, and then we appropriate and continue to live out this union through faith. By faith you have been saved. Through faith you have been saved by grace, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. And, and faith is a part of the life. Faith is believing. Faith is trusting. Faith is looking to Christ in all circumstances. Faith is seeing that he's abiding in me and I'm abiding in him. And I may not be able to face this difficulty. I may not even be able to face this good time in life without him. And I look to him and I trust him. And, and, and I see that I'm, I'm faithing through this life in him. Not faking it, but faithing it. Trusting that even when I don't understand it, he is with me. I love the way, and, and Scott read this earlier, in Galatians 2.20, where the Apostle Paul says, but I've been crucified with Christ. He's talking about you and me. I've been cru He's talking about the experience of every believer. 
Paul, when he came to faith in Christ, and it was applied in time, that third point that I used about it's, it's an actual time, it actually happens in time. Paul on the Damascus Road, and a few days later, when the scale, or a few hours later, maybe, when the scales were removed from his eyes, and he was born again, he was crucified with Christ. You know, we, we, we tend to think a lot about Christ dying for us. And that's true. We, we tend to think about Christ dying as a sacrifice, as a substitution. And that is true. But Paul says here, I want you to understand that if you are in Christ, you have been crucified with him. It's as though as he's hanging on that cross, you're hanging on that cross with him. Now, you weren't there 2,000 years ago when the actual event took place, but when that is applied to your life, you have died to self, you have been crucified to self, and you're crucified with Christ. And he goes on to say, and it's no longer I who live. Now, wait a minute. Paul was still alive. He was. He says he was crucified with Christ, and he said, I, don't, I no longer live, but Paul was still very much alive. You could shake his hand, you could talk to him, had you been there in that day? I mean, he was alive. But he's talking spiritually here, and he says, It's no longer I who live, but now Christ lives in me. See that union? Christ lives in me. And and, in living in me, he strengthens me, he empowers me, he nourishes me. He gives me strength to do even what I don't necessarily want to do. You ever been there? You ever known that something was right, but you didn't want to do it? Paul had the experience in Romans 7. I find myself sometimes doing the things I know I shouldn't do and not doing the things I know I should do. Paul experienced that. So do we. I know that I ought to be obedient in this way, but, but I just don't want to do it. But Paul says, I want you to understand, as you have died with Christ, been crucified with Christ, no longer living for yourself, but Christ living in you, he will give you strength because the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, if you you did nothing but meditate on Galatians 2.20 this week, if you did nothing but if you you don't want to take your Bible around, print it on an index card, it'll easily fit there in big letters so you can see it, and just take that around your pocket and just every now and then reach in and pull out, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This this union with Christ is is appropriated, and we walk in it by faith, by trusting him. We are justified in union with Christ. Paul said to the Corinthians in in 1 Corinthians 1.30, but by his doing you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And, of course, that verse I paraphrased a moment ago in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's not a self-righteousness. 
It's a declaration. Or Paul, writing to the Philippians, when he said, More than that, I count all things to be lost in the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered a loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Listen to this. And be found in Him, in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We are justified, declared not guilty by faith, by God. Through faith, by God, by His grace. And, and we need to understand, when Paul says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, you need to realize he, he lost everything. He gave up everything. He was a religious authority. He was a religious uh, Pharisee. He was looked to by, by all the people. They thought he was perfect, as a matter of fact. He knew he wasn't. But he was viewed with great esteem among, among Jerusalem among Judaism. And yet when he came to Christ, he said, I lost it all. Maybe even lost a fortune. All his money. I don't know. But he said, let me tell you something. Knowing Christ, abiding in Christ, having myself being in Christ and Christ being in me is more important than any of that. As a matter of fact, I count it as rubbish. The word rubbish there could also be Translated dung, manure, waste, no value, don't want it around because I know Christ. And He is the center and He is the circumference, and being in union with Him is everything in my life. We're also sanctified through Christ. We're justified, we're sanctified through union with Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, By His doing we are in Christ. He, he became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Ephesians 4.16 says, From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, God, Christ being in union with Christ causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We are sanctified by union with Christ. Not by our own efforts. Not by what we do, but what He does in us and through us. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He is a new creature. She is a new creature. The old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. What I, count, what I did love, Paul said in Philippians, I count as loss, as rubbish, because everything's new in Christ, and that matters more than anything. Well, quickly, we persevere in the life of faith in union with Christ. It's by union with Christ that we become a part of His flock, a part of His sheep. He's our shepherd, and Jesus said, we looked at this weeks ago in John 10, 28, 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He goes on to say, and no one will snatch them out of the Father's hand. They're wrapped up. We are protected by the Trinity, by that union. We are in Him. He is protecting us, and He is in us. Paul said in Romans 8, 38 and 39, I am convinced. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us who are in Christ from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that, those two verses, 38 and 39 of Romans chapter 8, they encompass everything. Death can't keep us from Christ if we're in union with Him. Life can't keep us with Him because He is our life. You know, angels aren't going to separate us from him. They are there to be his messengers of protection. Nor principalities, that's demons, the demonic. Nor anything present, nor anything to come, nor any powers, nor height, or depth. Nothing, he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Scripture even says we die in Christ. Romans 14.8 says, For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Revelation 14, 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. We die in Christ. We are crucified with Christ. And, and that is a spiritual death that takes place at salvation, but we'll also die a physical death in Christ if he tarries. That's okay, because when he comes again, when he comes again, and that's the great second coming of Christ, which we believe in, and know is going to happen because he said it's going to happen, those who are dead in Christ will be the first to rise, first class, all the way. Scripture says, we die in Christ, we'll be raised with him. I'm getting ahead of myself. But it's more raised here than just raising in the last day. Paul says in Colossians 3, 1, he says, Therefore, you have been raised up with Christ Jesus. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's talking about a raising here now that's illustrated. You'll see it illustrated in about five minutes. Well, maybe ten minutes. You'll see it shortly. In those baptismal waters. When Daniel is taken under the water, there is the symbolism of he has died to self. He has died in Christ. Uh, Todd will take him under and he will be buried, if you will, because he's dead. He's been crucified with Christ. And then he'll be raised to walk in newness of life, 
Just what Paul is saying here in Colossians 3.1. You've been raised up with Christ if you're in union with Him. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Paul says, listen, our focus must be different. Our focus will be different if we are in union with Christ. We will seek His things. We will seek Him. And not just one day a week. We don't just come to church and seek Christ for one hour, Sunday school two hours, and then the rest of the week I'll seek my own pleasure, I'll seek what I want, I'll seek what I desire. No, if you're in Christ, it is a natural thing to seek Him and think of where He is seated in the heavenly places because in reality you're seated there with Him. And we shall be eternally glorified with Christ. Glorified. Made totally new. I mean, we've been, if we're in Christ, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. We know that. All our sins are forgiven. He paid the price. He paid the penalty. He suffered the penalty on the cross. That's great. In this life, as we are in union with Christ, and His Word is filling our hearts, and His Word is filling our life, and we're abiding in Him, and He's abiding in us, and His Word is abiding in us, we know that we are being saved from the power of sin. A Christian ought to have less response to sin today than they had yesterday. You got that? But one day we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. Glorified. In His presence where there is no sin. Not in us and not around us and not impacting us in any way. We will be glorified. Paul said later in Colossians 3, verse 4, he said, When Christ, who is our life, remember that. I've been crucified with Christ, yet no longer, yet I live, but no longer I live, but he lives in me, Paul said to the Galatians. Well, the Colossians, he said, When Christ, who is our very life, is revealed, that is in that second coming, in that glorious time, or when we go to be with him, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The presence of sin vanishes. I'm looking forward to that. You know, the, the truth is, I like the way one of my favorite writers today kind of summarized these things. And they're saying the same thing over, but I want you to get them. And, and Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, Christian Spirituality, Five Views of Sanctification, he writes one particular view in there. And he gives us why union with Christ is the foundation of our sanctification, of our walk with him now. This is their close. Don't miss this. First of all, we share in his death. We've talked about that. We are baptized into his death. I've been crucified. I've died to self. Secondly, we, we share in his resurrection. We are raised with Christ. We share in his resurrection. Thirdly, we share in his ascension. He has ascended. We've been raised up with him into the heavenly places. So much so that Scripture even says we are seated with Him right now, positionally, we are seated with Him in the heavenly places if we're in union with Him. 
That's our positional truth. And sanctification is about making that positional truth our practical truth day by day. And finally, not finally, but next slide, in his heavenly reign, we sit with him in heavenly places so that our life is hidden with Christ in God. If you're in Christ, if you're in union with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ and it is hidden in God. And the Spirit is protecting and guiding and convicting and strengthening and pointing out our sin so that we can confess it and repent of it and move forward. And we also share in His promised return. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we will appear with Him in glory. This, this is the foundation of sanctification in biblical theology. This concept of union with Christ, folks, it, it's a lost concept in, in many of our pulpits, in many of our churches, and it, it must not be so. It must not be so in the pew as well as in the pulpit. Until you grasp this whole idea of you as a Christian being in union with Christ, we've made being a Christian what? Walk in an aisle. Raising a hand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Now, if you want to come to Christ, raise your hand. Okay, good. I see that hand. I see that hand. Okay, now pray this prayer. Blah, 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 blah. You're good. A lot of people walking around with a lot of false hope based on that sort of thing. Scripture says, when you trust Him, you are in union with Him. And this union is rooted not in our humanity, not in our ability, not in our achievement of any kind of pseudo-holiness or pseudo-sanctification, but it's in what God has done in Christ in our lives. It's being in union with Him. Being one with Him. Now, now, not in the sense that we become Christ. You know, there, there's, a, there's a view out there by some cults that, well, we, we just become little gods. Benny Hinn will tell you that if you, if you come to Jesus, you become just a little god and you can rule over your own little kingdom. That's not what it is. We don't become Christ, but we are in Christ. Christ is in us. And while there is not that immediate, complete change that makes us just like Him, there is the process of sanctification that will take place in your life through trials and struggles that He'll use as razor-sharp knives to sharpen and, and, and slice away what needs to be sliced away so that you turn your focus and your gaze upon Him. You see, he doesn't want you just glancing at him on Sunday morning. He doesn't. And if he's in you, he'll grab your attention on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and every other day of the week so that your, your gaze will be upon him, not your glance. You got troubles? You got problems? Fine. Don't we all? If you gaze upon those problems, if you focus upon those struggles, they're going to they're gonna captivate your life. Wednesday morning, I'm going to 
Tuesday morning, we talked with the women's Bible study about what it means to, to become like what you worship. And a lot of times we worship our problems, folks, because they captivate our attention. They captivate our gaze at all times. If you want to become like Christ, worship Him. He said, we just did. We've done it all this hour. We worshiped, and we sang, and we prayed, and we read Scripture, and all that. That is important. But you want to become like Him? Worship Him tomorrow, at work, in your home, at school. You say, oh, i got so many other things that just bear down upon me. Yeah, those are circumstances that you, if you gaze at them, they will become, they will make you like them. Glance at those problems while you're telling Him what a glorious Savior He is, what a glorious Lord He is. And by the way, that problem's there, but Lord, I just want to look at you. I want, to, I want to fix my gaze upon you, Lord. I know that stinking problem's over there. I know that person's giving me a hard time. I know that person's making life miserable for me. But they need to just be brought under your control, Lord. So if you would, just control my life and take care of the circumstances. Worship Him. We worship corporately, and that's important, but we worship individually, and that's important too. What are you looking at? What are you gazing upon? What do you see yourself being in union with, or who are you in union with? Is it just with yourself? Then, oh, well, you have headaches and problems. Or are you in union with Christ, who is your life? If you are a believer, let's pray together. And as you pray, I want you to recognize that if you've never trusted Christ, all that is just potential, but it is potential. If you've never trusted Christ, there is a, a call, a, a, a call upon your life to come to Christ. Trust Him. Die in Him. Be crucified with Him. So that He may live in you. Problems, they abound. Troubles will always have. But if we are in Christ, I've got to tell you, they make more sense. Because they are God's sandpaper to change your life. They are God's scalpel to do spiritual surgery, to cut away that which is unnecessary. Father God, do your work in our lives. For those who are here and don't know you, I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit will move in their life and draw them to yourself. I pray, Father, for those here who have, have just kind of floated along and not grasped this whole concept that they are in Christ and you are in them. They are in you and you are in them. And you're all wrapped up in the Father. 
you want to give them a walk that is joyful, joy-filled, and glorifying to you. Father, I pray you do that. As we sing this great hymn, In Christ Alone, we recognize that is the truth that we lean upon this morning and every day. It's in you alone. Thank you, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.